Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Light go. Love you guys. Now you can head out. This is our youth group right here. They're going to head out and go on upstairs. So if you're visiting and you have a, a, a youth group child, you can send them. They're going to have a good time on the second floor. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Hill City Church. It's an honor. Okay, let me just stop. I'm not going to get my notes yet. It's an honor, and it's a privilege, and it's a weight to open up God's word and do this with you every time that I do it. It's unbelievable, and I don't take it lightly. I never, ever take it lightly. I lose a ton of sleep over it. I want to throw up every single Sunday morning. It's, it's just the way it is, but it's an honor, and it's a privilege, and I'm, I'm just grateful to do it. I'm telling you that because we are starting a new series today. We are going to be in the gospel of Mark for a long time. Now, here's what's happened recently at Hill City Church. We, we've got this pre-marriage uh, uh, counseling thing that we're going to be starting with all of our, all of our uh, young couples who are going to be uh, getting married. It's called Symbus. It's short for Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. Now, why am I telling you this? Because all the elders and our wives, we did this thing, okay? And you take this test and it kind of lets you know uh, a little bit about your personality type and who you are and just some things you need to look out for. And it's, it's a great, great tool. And it's almost like voodoo-ish. Like you're answering weird questions. Like this question makes no sense, but then they tell you things. You're like, this is weird. This is, this is witchcraft, I think. I'm just kidding. It's not, but you get my point. I'm like, wow. Now, how do I know this? So I get my personality sort of type thing back. This test that asked me weird things had nothing to do with my personality, I thought. I said, Brad, here's your personality style. Ready? Just the facts. That's what you prize most in a conversation. You like a conversation that's linear, it's purposeful, it's direct. No need to dance around an issue for you. And you're not big on lots of words. Mostly because I'm not very smart, I don't have lots of words. But this is what this test is telling me. You may even say things to your spouse, cut to the chase, or let's just get to the bottom line. 
Okay, now Bay, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, I ever say that to you, but I think she's up there. I can't see anybody up there, but I think she's up there somewhere. Why am I telling you that? That is dead on accurate, and it's also the reason why I love the Gospel of Mark. Okay, listen, this Gospel that we are going to get into, this thing cuts goes right to the point. Mark does not waste words. He just tells you exactly how it is. Mark is an action-packed gospel. And it's actually blue-collar Greek. Like Mark doesn't use like a bunch of fancy words. He just gets right to it. He's kind of like my kind of guy. Mark will include less of Jesus' teaching and more of Jesus' doing. It's an action book. You will see this word in Mark a bunch of times. So immediately, or maybe some of your uh, Bible versions will say straightway. That word is used over 40 times in the gospel of Mark. And it talks about a way. We just, we just read it, right? Prepare the way. And all the time Jesus is going immediately. He's going straightway. And you got to ask your question, where's he going? Well, it's interesting that that word is used 40, over 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. And never once is it used again after Jesus goes to the cross. So you want to know where Jesus is going? He's going immediately. He's going straightway to the cross. And he's going there for you and me. And Mark just gets right to the point. Like chapter one, like we're not going to do all, we're not, we're not going to do all of it today, but like within the 20, within the first 25 verses of this book, 25 verses, Jesus, the book is introduced. John the baptizer, right? I mean, he's, he throws haymakers right out of the gate. We'll get into some of those today. Jesus is then baptized. Jesus goes to the wilderness. Jesus starts his ministry. Jesus picks some disciples and then Jesus heals a guy of an unclean spirit. That's 25 verses. I love Mark. We don't need to waste time. Let's just get to it. What'd he do? Cut to the chase. Oh, Mark does that. Mark the book. The gospel of Mark. This is likely an eyewitness account from Peter. Okay? This letter would have been written to Gentiles. That's another reason why it's so short and so sweet. Right? Gentiles. That's this is just how they rolled. Mark does not have an abundance of quotes or references to the Old Testament like Matthew and Luke does. Gentiles, Gentiles, like, like you and I, we're typically unfamiliar. Like when and the audience that Mark would have been writing to, the original readers, they would have been unfamiliar with the Old Testament and sort of the, the, the ways of uh, Judaism. And Mark builds his case not on signs and not on scripture, but the reason why is because, see, Jews require a sign. Jews had high value for uh, the Torah, the Old Testament. Gentiles did not. So Mark doesn't use and doesn't write about signs and scripture, but what he does use the most powerful piece of evidence in the Gentile court is eyewitness. So that's what Mark does. Mark wants us to know who Jesus is. So he concentrates on what Jesus did with his life. 
That's what the book of Mark does. But it's not, listen, it's not just that Mark writes this for no reason. So you might read like biographies today and it's like, it's like, like a guy I would like, like I, don't, I don't dig biographies too much, but like I would read like Teddy Roosevelt. And some people just, like they would write about say Teddy Roosevelt or somebody else because it's like, hey, he's an interesting character. You might, you might find him interesting. So I'm going to write a biography and, and, and maybe check it out. But that is not how it worked back then. Mark writes this because he wants you to know Jesus, but not because he's some sort of interesting character. He wants you to follow Jesus. So what, we are, what we're going to do, we're going to start today, and we're going to do this for months. We are going to travel the path of our king. And Mark is going to take us through his life. Chapters 1 through 8, we will see our king in Galilee. Chapters 8 through 10, we will see him in Jerusalem. And then 11 through 16, 11 through 16 is the path of our king to the cross. And we are going to travel this path. Some theologians will break the book down this way. Chapters 1 through 10, we will see our king's service. This is all the action, his service. Chapters 1 through 10, then chapters 11 through 16, we will see our king's sacrifice. The key verse in all the gospel of Mark is this, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're going to see how he served, and it's going to come fast. Boom, boom, boom. All the things he did, it's action-packed. And then we're going to see how he gave his life on the cross. I love this book of Mark. So what about the person? What about the guy that wrote this book, John Mark? I already mentioned it. He wrote this book as an eyewitness account of Peter. He was Peter's guy. You can read, uh, Peter uh, writes about him in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. He actually calls him my son. He didn't mean that literally, but that they were tight. Mark followed along Peter. He learned from Peter. He learned about Jesus from Peter. But the first mention of Mark is in Acts chapter 12. And we heard about this last week from Tim Hayes. But Mark was at a prayer meeting at his mom's house. They were praying for Peter, who was put in prison. And Peter was delivered. That was the first mention of Mark. But then you can read about Mark again in Acts chapter 13 and what happened. He was on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. It got hard. And not like it got hard like, they, like, like it was hot and they had to walk a lot. Like it got hard like they were getting the heck beat out of them. And Mark says, I'm out. And he quit. He quit on Paul. He quit on Barnabas. Mark was a quitter. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on another missionary journey. And they have this chat. And Barnabas is like, let's get Mark. Paul's like, hey, we want to go here. We want to go to these churches that we started. And Barnabas goes, let's get Mark. And Paul says, no, he's a quitter. I'm not going with him. And they actually get in a fight about it. So much so that Paul and Barnabas, don't go, they don't go together. Barnabas goes his way. Paul goes his way. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul says, nope, that guy's a quitter. 
So let's just stop right here and let's talk. Because it could be that some of you in here, you've traveled the path of Mark. You might be traveling the path of Mark today. Say, Brad, what are you talking about? Some of you have quit. And for some of you, it's been years. Like you've sat on the sidelines for years. You believe in Jesus. Some of you, maybe it's just been a season of, of months. So we've got a bunch of college students here. Some college students, see, they quit over Christmas break. And that's their story, They've, right? Some of you have traveled this path of Mark. And why am I telling you this? I'm not telling you this to shame you. I want to offer you encouragement this morning before we ever get into a verse of what Mark wrote. God, the God of heaven, by the power of his Holy Spirit, had Mark write his word, the gospel of Mark, and over thousands of years, this gospel of Mark has encouraged millions of people. Furthermore, millions of people have read or heard the truth of the gospel of Mark. They have believed in Jesus Christ. They have died and they are with him for eternity because of what Mark wrote down. And the good news this morning is this. That's how God works. God uses quitters. God uses failures to get his work done. And he delights in it. Because it's actually all that he has to work with. Oh, he doesn't need us. He can do it all himself. But he takes quitters. He takes failures. And he uses them to impact thousands. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. The book of Mark. The person of Mark. And what does he have to tell us? Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a sentence. Did you hear this? Holy moly. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. Now, now the church kids are going, wait a minute. That's how the whole Bible starts. In the beginning. Yes, you heard it. You should have heard it. A familiar ring. See, Genesis 1 is the beginning of creation. But when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, it's the beginning of all things new. It's the beginning of redemption. That, that is on purpose. The beginning. The beginning of what? The gospel. This word, euangelion. The gospel. It's not, it's not a church word. This is a word. It was used when there was some big time, big time news that had to be shared. Quite literally, news that brings joy. Quite literally, it would be news that, it would be news of victory. 
And those of you that would have been here on, on Christmas Eve, you, you would have you'd have heard this. But like warriors would go out to battle. And everyone that didn't go to, out to battle, they'd be in their city wondering, how is this going? And they'd send a messenger and they'd go see and they'd come back with euangelion, hopefully. Good news that the battle has been won. What did that mean? Well, listen, it meant you won't become slaves. That's what that meant. Better yet, here's what it meant. Listen, better. Euangelion comes back and he says, you are no longer slaves. This is really good news. The battle has been won. You, we, we're free. We are no longer slaves. That's really, really good news. It's actually the greatest news that you are ever going to hear in your life. You're free. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was his name. Christ is a title. Jesus was his name. Christ was a title. The title of uh, meaning an anointed one. Kings were anointed. The quite literal word would be Messiah. So Jesus comes on the scene and Mark says, this is Jesus the Christ. In other words, this is, this is the one who everyone in the Old Testament was talking about, who everyone in the Old Testament was hoping for, who everyone in the Old Testament was waiting on. He is the Christ. Israel waited for years, years, and years for the Messiah to come. And Mark, out of the gate, is saying, Jesus is king. Don't miss it. What do I mean? Jesus is the anointed one of Yahweh. He is the Christ who would come to the rescue. He would come to save. But you need to know this morning, he isn't just the Messiah that Israel waited on. He isn't just the Messiah for Israel. He's your Messiah. He's your Christ. He's my Christ. He's the one who would deliver you. He's the one who would deliver me. And this is really, really good news. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that isn't enough to have us floating out of here, I've got some more. And so does Mark. And this action-packed first sentence, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ Who do you say Jesus is? Now, that's, that's the most important question I'm going to ask today. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, see, we're in Springfield, Missouri. We've done been to Sunday school. Like, we know how to answer. So let me ask it this way. What does your life say about who Jesus is. See, Jesus has a very unique identity. And we're going to see Mark, we're going to see Mark call him teacher. And we're going to see Mark call him rabbi. And we're going to see Mark call him Lord. And we're going to see that Mark calls him the son 
But here in this first sentence and beyond, Mark explicitly informs us that Jesus is God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is his, this is his most important title. One theologian would say that this is the chief artery of the gospel. And you need to know this morning, Jesus isn't just some guy that was like God. Jesus isn't some guy that was close to God. Jesus is God. This is the truth. Jesus is God. What do we do with this? What is the proper response then to this truth? And here it is. All. So what? Like what awes you? What puts you in awe? What do you truly look at and go, that is awesome. By literal definition, what puts you in awe? So, so recently over the last few years, um, I've gone on some hiking trips, okay? Um, Glacier National Forest, uh, the Grand Tetons. I don't know if you've heard of these places. I hadn't heard of them until I was, I mean, I didn't even know they were places, okay? But until recently. Telluride, a place called Telluride. Listen, and, and we would go to these places, and they're, and they're beautiful. Like, holy cow, they're, they're stunning. And, and, like, these are places you don't just take a casual walk and get there. Like, it's grueling, Okay, um, I'm not even going to tell you who I go with because they're honest men and they'll tell you, listen, I'm deathly afraid of heights and I do this stupid stuff, okay? And if you would ever go on a hike with me, you would see a side of me that you would be like, oh man, because I'm scared the whole time, okay? So I'm just confessing before you today, it doesn't go well all the time up there on those mountains, okay? So I'm like... But man, I see things. As I'm on these hikes, when I get to the top, I see, and listen, it puts me in awe. I, I, I find myself going, what the heck is this? I find myself going, I have never seen anything like this. And I got to be honest with you, it does, it, it, it tunes my heart and I just start thinking, Lord, you are awesome. You just, you just went exist and this happened. It puts me in awe. Mark chapter 1 verse 27. Jesus heals a paralytic and people see it and they go what is this mark chapter 2 chapter 2 is where he healed, healed a paralytic chapter 1 is where he cast out an unclean spirit but in chapter 2 where he actually he healed a paralytic they looked at it and they saw it like this guy has never walked in his life and all of a sudden he's walking and he's jumping and they say I've ne we've never seen anything like this. Chapter 4, he, he calms the sea. And the disciples are like, who, 
Who is this? That, that the sea and the wind, like, they obey him. They saw what Jesus did, and it put them in awe. Because only God can do stuff like that. What puts you in awe? Do you see what Jesus does right now today? Do you see what he does around you? And does it put you in awe? Are you looking? Because here's the reality. I don't have to go to a mountain. It's awesome. I mean, it, 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 true, but it is truly awesome to go to a mountain and see and be put in awe. But I don't have to go to a mountain to see what Jesus is doing around me to be put in awe. There's a group of boys. They're all Hill City boys. It's, it's fascinating to me. And they all started to golf together. And there, was, there have been a couple times where the dads, just kind of us idiot dads, are standing in the back, right? We're watching, and our boys are walking down a fairway. And they're laughing. And they're joking. And they're friends. And you just hear these boys and their laughter and their joy. Puts me in awe. It's only like God invented that. Got a lot of new parents in this church, right? God has gifted you with a baby. Like, like I see reactions. I mean, I've had four of these, so it's old to me now, but like I still love when parents, like they hear the first baby noise. You know what I'm saying? And these mom and dad, they're put in awe. God invented that. Hill City Church, I just want you to, have you lost your sense of awe? When's the last time Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has put you in awe? We're going to walk through this book of Mark. And Mark wants us to be put in awe. He wants us to know the man, Jesus Christ, but he wants us to know that man, Jesus Christ, who was 100% man, was also 100% God. He's going to record over 20 of Jesus Christ's miracles, and it needs to demonstrate to us his supreme power and authority over demons, over disease, over death, over nature. We're going to see this, and it isn't just some authority that he had back then. He still has that authority today. It needs to put us in awe. Jesus Christ is God. As it is written in Isaiah, Behold, I send a messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. And they didn't use a name in the Old Testament, but here in Mark we have a name. I, the Old Testament says, I'm going to send a messenger before you. Right here in verse 4, it's John the baptizer. He appeared, baptizing. And John the baptizer, he's, he's this bridge guy between Old Testament and New Testament. That's why we hear about his appearance, where he's got a leather belt and, and he's wearing hair and he eats locusts and wild honey. That's so Old Testament. He's like a bridge guy. 
But here's the thing we got to know about him. He had a massive following. He wasn't just some hippie in the woods with like four or five other hippies that followed him. Like he had a massive, massive following. He was the real deal. And he comes on the scene and he says, here he comes. Get ready. Here he comes. And John tells us who Jesus is. After me, verse 7 says, comes he. After me comes he who is mightier than I. John the, listen, John the baptizer was mighty. After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So you need to hear that. Listen, when you talk about untying a sandal, what John the baptizer was saying was like listen this was the work in this culture this was the work of the lowest slave a disciple would follow a rabbi and they would do everything that that rabbi said they would not unlatch his sandal that's the work of the lowest slave and John the Baptist says nope I'm not even listen this the Christ is so awesome I'm not even worthy to stoop down and do that Why am I telling you this? Because John the baptizer knew exactly where he ranked when it came to Jesus. Do we? Jesus is our king. He's a perfect and holy king. And he's a king that we don't deserve. But somehow we get him. And then John the baptizer goes on. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Listen, when the, when the hearers or readers would have read this, there was one thing that would have come to their mind. Wait, what? Nobody gets to do the Holy Spirit thing except for God. Are you saying, John the baptizer, that this guy is God? And John the baptizer would say, oh yeah, he is God. John knew who Jesus was. He knew where he ranked. And he knew that Jesus was God. No man can give you the Holy Spirit. No human being can give you the Holy Spirit. That is still true today. It's God who does that work. You need to know this morning, Jesus Christ, the Christ, he was a great teacher, the greatest one that ever lived. He was a rabbi. He was a man, 100% man. He's our high priest, as the Bible says. He's the lion and the lamb. He is the prince of peace. But more than anything, Jesus Christ is God. And he is worthy of our lives. When we see Jesus, we're, we're, listen, when we see Jesus, whether we see him in God's word or we see his work out there, when we see Jesus, the proper response is that we should be put in awe. But the equally proper response is that we would fall on our faces in worship and give our lives to him. And I mean 100% of our lives. Not a piece of our lives, he's God. Not all of our lives, sometimes like he's God. All of our lives, all the time. Because he's worthy. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. What, what, if, we just, what if we just thought about praying a couple of things this morning?
What if, what if some of us thought about praying a prayer of confession and repentance? And we would say something like this. God, I've quit on you. But Mark did too. Oh, and even the guy Mark followed Peter, Peter did too. God, I've quit on you. I'm sorry. I'm back. Use me. What if that was a prayer that we prayed this morning? For some of us, what if, what if a prayer for some of us was this? God, I've lost my sense of awe. Could you restore that? I think, it's, I think it's a good time that I remind us of this. We say this a lot, Hill City, and I think it's time that I remind us, okay? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If that gospel is true, it is. If the gospel is true, you have nothing to hide. If the Just repeat after me. If the gospel is true, I have nothing to hide. Listen, Jesus is God. He knows everything already anyway. He knows everything you've ever done. In the past, he knows what you're doing right now in the present. He knows what you're going to do in the future. He already knows you have nothing to hide. But here's what happened. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You were slain. By your blood you ransomed people to God, for the Son of Man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Revelation says that's exactly what he did. slain for the time that I quit. He died for my failure. He died for my sin. And then here's what he did. He enabled me to come to him with all of it. And that's what I walk up. I go, hey, you're my king. Jesus, you're God. Here's my quitting. Here's my sin. Here's my failure. I'm a disaster but you are my king. And here's my prayer. Stand with me. Here's my prayer. We're going to do this Gospel of Mark thing. And I'm literally praying this, that all of us would come to the same conclusion as the Roman centurion in Mark chapter 15, 39 that all of us would travel this path of our King and we would find ourselves at the foot of the cross of Jesus the Christ and that we would say this, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last breath, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. that this morning believe that he's the son of God run to him fall on your face in front of him confess your sins before him love him, give your life to him let's come to the table and celebrate what our king has done for us